Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Red Zone Restrictor podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Chris Coughlin to discuss the Premier League charges against Manchester City and the fallout from Liverpool's Premier League defeat against Wolves. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So yeah, this would have been a, a standard episode looking at um, where, where Liverpool are at and, and we will get to that later in the podcast but first of all we have to discuss the massive news really that came out uh, this morning from the Premier League that Man City stand accused of breaking financial rules uh, following a four-year investigation basically they've been uh, referred to an independent commission over supposed breaches from 2009 to 2018 it's quite important to stress that time period a lot of people talking about um last season um as of yet doesn't, there's nothing on that front. Um, so the accusations that the city hasn't provided accurate financial information, um, including in relation to sponsorship revenue and operating costs. And there's also claims about not fully disclosing managerial remuneration, um, which I think is essentially saying that um, when Roberto Mancini was in charge of City, um, obviously when they won their first Premier League title, that they maybe didn't say, you know, how much he was fully getting paid. And there was also um, alleged breaches of the Premier League profit and sustainability rules in 15, 16, 16, 17 and 17, 18. See, one of those seasons, City got 100 points. Um, none of those uh, are seasons where Liverpool were kind of runners-up. But uh, 13, 14 is in that period, which Liverpool um, obviously were second City that year. In terms of what City said in response... Um, in the interest of fairness, they said they were surprised by the issuing of the alleged breach of the Premier League rules, particularly given the extensive engagement and vast amount of detailed materials that the Premier League has been provided with. They welcomed the review by an independent commission to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence that exists in support of their position. And they look forward to the matter being put for rest once and for all. So I'll just take a deep breath after all that. Um, Chris, Initial reaction to that kind of bombshell story. We know that this has been quietly kind of up going on in the background for a while. Um, maybe easy to forget that it was happening, think that nothing will come of it, but I think it's fair to say that that something has come of it and it, it's something with um potentially seismic consequences in one way or another. Yeah, I think the word to describe it is unprecedented, certainly, given the the sheer number of charges Manchester City are alleged, uh, accused of, of committing, obviously being charged with with more than 100. Um, and through the time period as well, given it was just after the, the takeover as well. I mean, I remember when that did take place back in 2008 and the Manchester City's first signing, first big one was Rubinho, wasn't it? And we were all thinking... Um, I mean, we were just kids, but uh, yeah, we, we were thinking like, is this the level that Manchester City can immediately kind of kind of jump into with regards to that? And you have to remember, for the first few seasons as well, after that takeover, I think the first season, 2008-9, off the top of my head, I think they finished eighth because Fulham got into the uh, into the UEFA Cup back then. And then the second season in 9-10, of course, Tottenham pipped them to to fourth place as well. Um, in in that in that season with Peter Crouch's header at the Etihad, so it, it took a couple of years as well for Manchester City to even get 
to Europe's top table after after the the, the takeover. Um, so I, I agree with you. The the time frame is um, important, obviously, when when we're looking at all this. Um, it's interesting as well that Simon Stone from, from the BBC he said as well that Manchester City were not given advance warning of this statement as well. They were called at the same time that the statement was published. Um, so process it. I mean, it was quite a short statement in, in, in general, wasn't it, in terms of just, just getting to the point and saying that you know, they, they you know, will, will cooperate. I, I think it's important to, to say as well that um, as, as well says here, I'm just reading it, that will drag on. I don't think this is going to be a quick process. Um, I think it was very interesting as well. Martin Ziga said that um, the final charge or the final decision that's taken cannot be appealed to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. So that just goes to show how big a case we are dealing with here, something that will reach a final verdict and not go to the top table of, of, of sports lawyers. I understand just how much this process is going to be worth overall. And is of course, as well, after De Spiegel, with, with all the, the, the threats of banning Manchester City from the Champions League, um, which ultimately didn't come to fruition with alleged breaches of spending there. But it, it is very interesting as well because we all, you know, we all love the, the ins and outs of, of, of football on the weekend whenever watching games. But it's really important to remember that there are with behind football as well and, and, and key parts. So it'd be very interesting to, to, to follow this case as, as it develops. Absolutely, Aaron. And like you mentioned, with CAS, they were able to obviously get their two-year European ban that was imposed on them originally overturned there. Um, they don't have that that avenue this time if indeed there is a punishment that gets handed down to them. Um, so, so now that we've kind of clarified what's going on and um, done what we kind of need to do from, I guess, a legal standpoint in terms of um, what City have said, if we look kind of at what's been said analytically about this by people who know um, a lot more, a lot more than we do. Um, one really good Twitter account to follow on this, um, and one that I've been looking at today is um, Stefan Bordson, um, who has a lot of credentials in this matter because he's a former financial advisor to City, a Man City fan, a former banker, current lawyer, CEO, and general counsel to a PLC dealing with allegations of historic um, accounting issues and well across FFP issues. So. Um, a huge expert in this field wouldn't be surprised if we see him on um on Sky Sports, BBC News, and all that talking about this. But basically, here is a summary from his Twitter feed of what he's been saying today about it. He says uh, the Premier League action is super, super serious, and it's the strongest allegations imaginable that have been leveled by the Premier League. Um, he says, and this is probably the headline from all of it. He said. The sheer extent of the Premier League charges are at a level that, if found proven, must lead to relegation, which is obviously a huge claim to make. Um, and obviously, one of the things people say about this is, especially in light of what happened with the Champions League ban uh, or the European ban, is City have the lawyers that they need to to get out of it. Um, they, ha- they have the, the quality of representation where um, if they have done something wrong, then... Um, they won't necessarily be able to be punished for it because the lawyers will argue the case effectively. But um, he says that the Premier League will fight this very hard as well, that they'll have the same um, 
resources at their disposal from a legal standpoint, and City um, won't have the kind of financial advantage there. Um, however, like you touched on, Chris, he says it doesn't lend itself to a short timetable. Um, he doesn't know how it will be dealt with, but it seems that it could be years from conclusion. And I saw a, uh, and actually I see another City fan saying that's the worst possible thing for them as well. I think it's the worst thing for everyone, really, in light of what this kind of means for the integrity of the competition, I suppose. But for you know, if you are a City fan, and um, I don't necessarily have too much sympathy for any City fans, but for this, if this is going to be hanging over your club for a few years, then it's kind of, it's kind of in nobody's interest. But it looks like it's sort of unavoidable from from that standpoint. Um, so yeah, before we get into like the the possible consequences, um, which we'll obviously talk about, how, how does it kind of af- affect perceptions um, of, of this Premier League era? What's happened today? You know, how much does it kind of taint it? And I guess from from our standpoint, as opposed to the City and Liverpool rivalry, that seems to have subsided for now, at least because of Liverpool struggling so much this season. And um, like I said earlier, these allegations only run up to um, or the 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 charges that have been levelled by the Premier League are only up to seventeen, eighteen. So not quite the height of that club pep rivalry, but but still, obviously, um, change in perceptions. Um, and we obviously, you know, if we remember that season, we played them in the Champions League, and um, and that so that was kind of the beginnings of it. But but yeah, Chris, like, I guess from that kind of perspective of being their rival how do we look at it everything that's happened today in a way i guess that you you can look at it and almost give even more credit to the job that done season as well you know based off what manchester city have been charged with you've got all who ran them close in 2013-14 and I know then these charges halt before 2018-19 but you, you get my point in terms of the players that arrived at Manchester City yeah. during this time period were obviously still at the club post that time period and just how well Liverpool did to you don't want to be seen as plucky losers but did so well to compete over such a long period of time um, against Manchester City it's interesting as well, just I saw some valid points. I mean, in this time period that we are, includes arguably the greatest Premier League moment of all time when Sergio Aguero um, buried it past Paddy Kenny to make it City 3 QPR 2 and, and secure the, the, the most dramatic title any of us have ever seen. Um, and even that includes um, the, 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 the end of last season as well. I mean, to first Premier League title, Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United on goal difference on the final day of the season, the final kick of the season. That is a moment that, well, around that time period, apart from if you're a Manchester United fan, you know, it was just, it, it was an incredible, incredible moment. And that. I think it'll be wiped from history because it categorically happened. But for a lot of people now, they'll be thinking if these charges, we'll we'll, we'll wait and see what happens, obviously, say in the years to come. But given what Manchester City have been charged with, is that a tainted moment in some people's eyes, potentially? Um, I 
think in terms of looking at that period as a whole, because it, it's an incredibly successful period for Manchester City, not just in the Premier League, in terms of cups as well. You know, because this period of dominance really it, it started with their first first trophy for forty four years with the FA Cup win over Stoke in, in twenty eleven. I remember Yaya Torre, you know, he was brilliant in the semi final against United, brilliant in the final against Stoke, scored a scored the winner in both games. And that's really what kind of set them on their way. That was their first trophy to this period of dominance. It's it's important to look at almost outside the Premier League in terms of what they've done as well. Um I know they haven't added the Champions League to that, but they were very, very close uh, against Chelsea, of course. Um, and you can imagine the quality in the squad. They'll be very, very close, if not thereabouts year, pretty much. I mean, they should have made the final last year bar an absolute madness from Real Madrid. So it's interesting looking at it overall because, of course, the, the, the quality of the squad. And as you say, going to be decided next week or next month or whatever we have no idea how long this time period is so what's it going to look like in terms of their squad by the time this ruling is 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 is, is awarded is, is is given however you want to however you want to look at it but of course Manchester City will deny any wrongdoing and, and, and fight the cause um it's interesting looking back on that era as a whole because for, for City fans young City fans uh, old City fans, many generations, it, it's the best period of football I've ever seen in their lives. And um, it'd be interesting to hear from, well, to see how City fans are taking this news, really. As you said, they're, they're seeing it as bad, you know, the worst possible news in terms of the reputation of the club. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, how they view it in terms of their, their own experiences. Yeah, definitely. And um, if we look at what, what might happen um, after that very long process like you say and we acknowledge that it will be that um there's a list here from sky sports of the possible punishments that um an independent commission uh, could impose or, or recommend so uh, suspend the club from playing league matches points deduction um, and it's important to clarify on that that a points deduction i think under the premier league rules can only apply to the season in which is issued so they can't issue a retrospective one um which is significant obviously from a liverpool standpoint uh, recommend to the board that league matches be replayed. Um, so maybe uh, the eighteen nineteen game get get all those players back um, <laughs> from that two one game at the at the Etihad and I'll do that one again. Um, recommend that the league expels expels the club. That's not going to happen realistically. I mean, on top of everything else, in terms of that being the most severe punishment, the Premier League doesn't want that either. As much as the Premier League, you know. If it wants to um, maintain the integrity of its competition, might might push for a very harsh penalty. It, it's not going to want that, so we, we can rule that out. And that's just kind of um, any sort of outlet to think report on that is probably just a little bit dramatic, to be fair. And others order compensation, um, conditional punishment, order the club to pay costs, um, make such other order as it thinks fit. So something that is maybe isn't included on the list, and also cancel or refuse registration of players. So you know, maybe to do with uh, contracts being void and things like that if they, if they don't comply with, with certain players. Um, we'll see on that one. I think it's one of them where, you know, if the, if this does get proven and the punishment is a fine, and regardless of what the fine is, that's not going to matter. Um, if the punishment is a fine, if the punishment isn't a tangible and serious sporting punishment, then I think for a lot of people who think 
have any sort of lasting hope in the in the integrity of the competition, like I say, in the accountability in the competition, then, then it'll be removed. I think and it'll be sort of genuinely the last draw for, for a lot of people, if that is the case. So so with that in mind, Chris, again, with the proviso that if City is found to have committed these breaches by the independent panel, what looks like a, a sort of suitable punishment to you? I mean, We've both done a little bit of reading about it today. We're maybe not kind of experts in it, from, but from what we can gauge about the severity of it, what do you reckon? And also, if you're in the Liverpool boardroom and you've got influence maybe um, with the Premier League, which is the reality, especially with those big clubs, what are you kind of pushing for like within the realms of reason? It's interesting. I think you have to look at what's happened with Juventus in terms of most recently, of course, you know, Juventus, one of the biggest clubs, if not the biggest club in Italy. And I think AC Milan would have a bit to say about that, but even so, um, you know, for them to be given a 15-point deduction shows that there's no messing about in Italy. You don't don't care how big of a club you are. If you are found guilty, you will get points deducted. Um, of course, we all remember back in the mid-2000s in terms of being relegated to Serie B as well, um, in terms of how big that was for Juventus and they, they kept some of the loyal players back then but nevertheless um, it would be very very strange to see Manchester City in the championship um, I think it's difficult to say what you think suitable punishment would be without having all the facts and I think we can only truly judge that once we see the findings however long that takes but what I will agree with you on is for a lot of people now, I saw how much obviously we've spent in the transfer window, and people, a lot of people have said that a Super League has been created in England just based off the amount of spending and stuff like that. And I think a lot of people would that view if, again, if if if, the, if nothing happened, but um, again, we'll just have to wait and see what is actually found to have happened in, in the future. I think it's important as well that there was a tweet that I saw today. Um, some, someone who was covering the case and they said a lot of people towards the age of social media, people will say what they want regardless of what, you know, when the case just breaks. And they said a lot of people will go around saying like, oh, nothing will happen. The fact this has been reported is something happening. And it's important that it is. It has now been recognised as a case, so we'll all watch um, interest going forward. And as, as as for Liverpool in the boardroom, um, if we can make a joke about it, maybe getting Gerard and Rogers Premier League titles. <laughs> but you know, it, it's of course, yeah, well, that, you know, that that's that's historic, and I think you referred to it there. Of course, there can't be points deducted from previous seasons. Whether there could be titles stripped as well. That, that, that's up for the powers that be to decide. Um, but yeah, I don't know how much of influence other clubs would have in this in terms of in terms of at the very top level. But I think, and you alluded to it earlier in terms of the, the view of City could be tainted somewhat by by these findings. Yeah, I think we can probably you know we talked about ruling out them getting expelled from the competition. Uh, we can probably rule out any sort of titles changing hands in the past as well. I would have thought just doesn't necessarily feel like a, a realistic punishment, I don't think. Um, my guess, based on kind of the, the reading I've done today, um, 
and obviously there's a lot more developments to come, like you say. I I would have thought that there probably will be a points deduction that arrives in whatever um, year this is settled, and then that'll probably get appealed, maybe. Um, and then it might apply even further down the line than when it's originally issued. So I think, you know, in the context of, of Juventus getting it as well, it, it kind of makes it seem more acceptable. It kind of sends a message, I think, to the rest of Europe that that clubs of, of that size shouldn't be seen as untouchable if, if they're found to have broken the rules. And I think um, given the severity, given given what we're hearing about about the severity of it, then I think it is something that is going to have to uh, merit a sports and p- penalty. Um, I, I think a points deduction, maybe to the tune of what Juventus got, might be uh, what we end up seeing. Um, who knows kind of when that, when that will be. And you just got to hope that it's when Liverpool are, when Liverpool are strong, because you know the worst possible thing for Liverpool, I, I think, in this scenario, would be that City get a points deduction, it, and it was applied immediately because that's not going to benefit us. You know, let's have a, if we have a look at the table just for, for argument's sake. Yeah, um, I saw someone saying today if they got the same punishment as such as Manchester City, I think they would they would drop down to eighth. Yeah, so they're on 45 points at the moment. Um, so if they got the same points deduction as Juventus, they'd still be above Liverpool. Um, and yeah, they'd be above Fulham and Chelsea on goal difference. So um, yeah, so for that for now would be absolutely useless. Um, certainly to us. And there will be, if there is a punishment, there will be a lot of talk of, well, where is kind of the, the justice, I suppose, for, for the previous seasons. But um that might be the most likely outcome. And as like I said earlier, I think I can definitely understand why a lot of people are very sceptical about the likelihood of something serious happening in light of this. Certainly something serious enough. Um, and I, I think I'd probably share that instinctive scepticism, but also when you see all the expert reporters doing all they can to emphasize the severity of this, when a lot of the time you read this and they'll play it down, they'll be like, Oh, that is just a fine or something like that. When you see them really kind of, you know, I think I saw Miguel Delange before we came on here saying it's the potentially the biggest scandal the Premier League's ever seen. So you would expect, like I said at the at the top of the podcast, um, seismic consequences um in like that. So yeah, let's see how that develops. It might be episode, I mean, we're on 113 today, like it might be episode <laughs> 413 by the time we get a uh a solution to that one, but we'll see. We'll see how it unfolds. Let's move on to the actual Liverpool focus. Um, I suppose we just had to discuss that because it could very much have implications for us, um, whether going forward retrospectively, however it however it goes. But Liverpool, another Nadia in this season. I mean, it, you can't you can't really say it's sort of peaks and troughs because there aren't really any peaks. It's just deeper and deeper troughs at the moment. Um, a three 0 defeat against Wolves. And that kind of leads us to wonder where Liverpool are going to end up this season. Um, down to 10th in the league now. Um, in light of that, Chelsea going above us. They have played a game more, but the game in hand is um, away to them. And you can't really be too confident for that one, even if they're struggling as well. So how bad can it get league position-wise? Because I think you see a lot of people maybe being a little bit dramatic Um after a result like that. But, I mean, what is kind of the, you talk about the ceiling for a football team, what's the basement for, for this Liverpool team um, between now and the end of the season? 
just getting the table up in front of me as well, just just to kind of really get my head around it. Um, I mean, had held on Western and Liverpool would be in the bottom half as as things stand. Um, and race for Liverpool going into the Merseyside derby is that Aston Villa's game this weekend is against Manchester City um, at the Etihad, which would um, you know, that would take a real shock result to me and Liverpool in the bottom half going into the Merseyside derby. But I think it was just such a staggeringly bad start at Molyneux. And this was a Wolves team, don't, don't get me wrong, they, they have markedly and I think we all saw them improving markedly under him as well. You know, this is a man that's managed Spain until um, rather ended quite drastically for him. Uh, Real Madrid, you know, severe up until recently. And the quality of player he's managed to pull to Wolves as well. In that, I believe they will avoid relegation. They'd still only scored 12 goals all season to that game. And then they scored two in 12 minutes and could have easily been three up by the half hour. And Liverpool's re- Liverpool got a real problem at the moment in terms of how they start games. Because it, start, it was a case earlier in the season by conceding the first goal for the World Cup. If we, we kind of felt that that problem had been remedied somewhat because Liverpool were at least starting to take the lead in games, thinking away to Tottenham, home to Southampton, away to... Aston Villa, but a massive step backwards in that regard now. And the start to games is just so slow. I see a lot of questions at the back. I see a lot of people asking questions all over the pitch, to be honest with you. But there's just no defensive organisation. And we've said it before, me and you, on this podcast, that defensive problems were still there when Virgil van Dijk just a factor that Virgil van Dijk isn't in the team. Defence is all over the place. The defence is all over the place from defenders who play very well with Virgil van Dijk. Play well with Virgil van Dijk. But when they play together, no communication at the moment. Even You go back to the first game of the season against Fulham. Van Dijk was against Matic. And I think over the last few seasons, certainly last season, even with the emergence of Canate, there was still a kind of feeling that Matic was Liverpool's favourite centre-back partnership. I just think John Matip has looked a shadow of his former self, really. Because I I would I genuinely put him up there in terms of how underrated he was over the last few years. I think he's I think he's been a wonderful servant to Liverpool. But something's happened recently. I mean, the, the bouncing ball for, for Nunes to get in, it just kind of sums up where he's at at the moment. And it is it is tough, as you say, to kind of not overreact while saying how bad it can get for Liverpool. But when you look at the table, if things don't drastically improve, on the realms of realism to say a bottom half finish. You have to agree with that. To be fair, I mean, it, I think it would be sort of in denial to look at what's happening recently and and say anything otherwise in terms of whether that's possible. I mean, I think if you sort of split the season up into phases, you've got a poor start, then. You kind of have a slight improvement. I mean, I think there was a run of sort of 10 games. Liverpool win seven. They take a couple of bad defeats against like uh, Forest and Leeds. But it was actually kind of bigger picture moving in the right direction as much as there were those really bad days. 
Um, win, win over Napoli as well. So, you know, yeah. Very few teams to have said they could beat Napoli this year. Of course, yeah. And, you know, and beat beat City, beat Spurs. You know, got some good wins in there. Um, either side of the World Cup, you've got sort of Spurs, Southampton, Villa. I mean, those were all, you know, we were saying at the time there was an element of 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 luck in, in all of those victories, but they you know they were decent wins for a team who, who wants to be kind of in the top four. But then you get Leicester, which is this kind of really I mean one of the most fortunate wins you're ever going to see, really. Followed by Brentford, Brighton, Chelsea was okay, and then and then Wolves and and three of those games have been three of the you know you've had three of the worst games the entire Klopp era kind of packaged into one month, um, really. And um, honestly, it's just, um, it's as bad now as it's been all season. It's probably worse, if anything, in terms of performances, optimism. And, and it was meant to be that Liverpool reset at the World Cup. They've gone, they've managed to go backwards. It's, it's unbelievable, really. And, you know, you do. I remember, pe- you know, people are looking at these fixtures and saying, it's, it's a hard run. And they're like, Aside from Bournemouth away, we probably won't get anything. And granted, after a decent uh, start to the season, Bournemouth uh, have regressed now and, and they're 19th and probably look like they're going to get relegated. But does anyone actually... Is that, is anyone going to go to that game with confidence based on what they've seen from us recently? I mean, we beat them 9-0 earlier in the season and yet going away point, from home. There was a point when they went above Liverpool. <laughs> Yeah, there was. Um, so, and, and it's one of the the horrible uh, the horrible facets of the season. That that one is on the eleventh of March, by the way. So a few ga- a few games away still, but I think it's a good example in terms of there's probably no team on form poorer than Bournemouth at the moment. Southampton, the only one who are another contender. But and I'm out my mates waiting the day before. So that's probably a good way to approach that game at the moment. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, I, I think. Honestly, you know, the the standard of performance and things like that, there's no game where you can go into it and think that Liverpool are going to have it, you know, any degree of, you just can't have any degree of confidence. I mean, I, I looked at it and thought, I think I said recently on this podcast that when we face a dysfunctional, another dysfunctional team, we might be all right. I mean, is there anyone who, who looks kind of more, Dysfunctional than us at the moment. I mean, there's teams with limitations, but they're a little bit sort of more on a fundamental level. You know, they're a little bit tighter than what Liverpool are. Um, I think what sums it up is if you look at the bottom half of the table, which thankfully doesn't include Liverpool yet, you've got Liverpool haven't played against all of them now because the game against Wolves postponed earlier in the season. So, um, I think this is now everyone in the league that they've played. They've played 10 matches out of those, obviously, and picked up 17 points. So that's only like just over half against the 10 worst teams in the division. And then obviously um, self-explanatory that they've only managed 12 against the teams in the top half. So it's not like you're looking at those games against the weaker teams and thinking, okay, but we'll be able to get some points in those. It's when we come up against wrong teams that will struggle. We are struggling against absolutely everyone, against absolutely every type of team. I mean, Brentford are I remember one of my um one of my mates called them Burnley with sauce. And and that is <laughs> that's pretty close to what they are. And then you have Brighton, who are this kind of 
different end of the scale in terms of being a football inside, and they both rip Liverpool apart. I'm not sure kind of where Wolves sit quite on that under Lapetegui, probably more towards the the Brentford end, but still, you know, there there isn't a sort of um there isn't kind of a type of team, a type of opponent, a type no. of type of game or anything. Um even the one game all season that you should feel, especially in front of fans, that you're not going to lose is Everton at home. And all it takes is that one Everton win last weekend now, and, and you think, I'm almost dreading that a little bit. Um, I thought they were remarkably organised. And you, you saw straight away, and Sean Dyche only had a few days to work with them, and you saw the Dyche impact. You saw his tactics, because straight away, We've all seen um, a lot of Everton this season in terms of the, what, what's been going wrong. But what Dice did right back, six. There was no uh, no attempting to play nice football, if you like. What he said to Dwight McNeil, Seamus Coleman on the far side, and Alex Awobi on the right hand side, he said, get it out wide and get the ball in the middle. Before he was attacking it, Cavaloon was attacking it. Everton could have been 3 0 up at half time, and that is not an exaggeration. And for you know, it was kind of written, wasn't it? I think when, when we look at it, Burnley Centre half scoring the winner in Sean Dyche's first game in charge of Everton. I think we all probably should have put a tenner on that. But it, 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 what Everton did for, for what for what they have right now. The, I think he is the right manager because I, I think if they'd gone down the Bielsa route. His crazy tactic of wanting to coach the under twenty ones until the summer and then taking over. I think Everton would have been far too open, and and Everton now they've stripped it back to basics. And I've been discussing with a few people today. Liverpool have not scored a Premier League goal for three hundred and ten minutes. Coming up against coming up against a Sean Dyche team, not what you want to try and break that spell, and. Have you? I don't know whether you've seen the the Sean Dyche masterclass video on YouTube. They are really interesting. The, the, those tactical analysis, and of course, he was the one that broke Liverpool's unbeaten league record at Anfield back in 2020, 2021 with with Burnley and Liverpool. While in terms of amount of changes needed, but I really do feel there's it's a long week. It's a long week. It's eight days between games. Tactical refiguration there, and kind of thought into the potential lineup and, and things like that already. I know Calvert-Lewin's having checked for for a hamstring problem, but in terms of the players available right now, and we, with Virgil Van Dijk will be back in training, and we'll have to wait and see whether he's available. Diogo Jota is said to be back in team training as well this week. If Everton's best tactic, I saw from the Arsenal game in terms of going direct, looking for Calvert-Lewin, looking for looking for Dwight McNeil. In terms of heading balls away from a tactic, I'm talking from a tactical perspective. If Van Dijk is not available, I believe Liverpool's best centre half in terms of dealing with aerial balls and heading them away is Nat Phillips. Hmm. It wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be the sort of as bold a call as as maybe you would think in light of how bad Matip has been. Um, recently and, and Gomez obviously struggled in against Wolves as well. Um and you gotta consider as well, you know, the set pieces, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. They, because that Everton were I think in the yeah. first half especially, all the deliveries were to the back post. And that's ultimately mm. where the goal came from. And we discussed as well for the Brentford game. 
and it's continued ever since. Liverpool have always been so strong from set pieces over the last few years, but in re- the last month, that has gone out the window. It's almost like every time, for example, just after Dawson's goal, Freaking was taken short and the ball went into Dawson. Freaking was taken. I knew that Dawson was going to get on the end of it one way or another, just because you had that feeling. And it's not good, especially when I would almost feel that nervousness now, especially at set pieces, as you as you mentioned. Yeah, it's a, a bit of a recipe for disaster, really. Um, and you know, we talk about new low points every week. I think. The possibility of, of Everton of Everton winning at Anfield and, and getting what you'd call kind of a proper win there is is the worst thought yet you'd say and you just hope that you I look at the season now and I've I've kind of reached a point where and and I think it's almost good to, to be this way where the setbacks don't hit me too much now I, I mean I'm don't get me wrong I'm not saying I'm I'm not shocked by what I'm seeing in terms of the performances I mean. For it to be, you know, you can't you can't look at, at what happened at Wolves and, and say that that, as much as you might have thought Liverpool might struggle in that game, you can't say that that's expected. I'm not kind of looking at it in that way. I'm just sort of like, you feel as if short of this, you know, Real Madrid Champions League time, the pursuit of what looks like a miracle there uh, this season now, increasingly each week, you start to sort of resign yourself to thinking almost write it off. So from that point of view, it's not necessarily hitting me as much as I thought it would. And I'm just kind of looking at it and thinking, let's look for let's look for the good moments because we there will be those between now and the end of the season. Um let's kind of savor those. Let's let's hope that they arrive. Um and one of those games you'd look at and say would be, okay, can we you know, with that cliche of Derby's defying the form book? Can we now kind of take that game against Everton, really good atmosphere at Anfield, use that atmosphere, channel that into a kind of an uncharacteristic performance as Liverpool team, get something and be like, you know what? As much as the season has been terrible and as much as it doesn't transform our season, at least we can enjoy that. And that's that's kind of under threat now, those kind of things. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking at kind of, you know, Everton, Real Madrid, you know, Manchester United at home, things like that. You just want kind of those moments that that you can save because they will feel great within this season. And that's how I'm looking at it now in terms of like expectations are gone. Um, and whether that's the right way to look at it or not, or not I don't know. Um, but that is, like I say, that is um, far from far from guaranteed as much as it looked like it, it was a safer bet when Lampard was manager. But anyway, one last question, Chris. Um Van Dijk, like you say, coming back. Um, Jota, potentially two. For me, you know, similar timeline. And also, Diaz was back running the other day. Do you think that we're in a bit of a cycle of like seeing that players are coming back from injury and thinking that they're going to solve our problems? Because it feels like we've had that a few times already this season. Because on the one hand, I think we've got to stop just banking on these kind of solutions. We banked on the World Cup for so long that nothing came of that. But then on the other, I'm like, what if, what if Van Dijk in defence, this new midfield, and then a front line with with sort of Diaz in there and maybe Gakpo and, and Jota as substitute options? What if that is the formula that lets Liverpool put an actual respectable run of forms together? I don't really know what to make of it. <laughs> 
I think there's a few players that are in the team, in the team right now, but don't deserve to be. If that makes sense. I mean, I've been wondering where Ben Doak is recently. I think I saw today that he put on his Instagram that he's hoping to be back soon, which sums up where the where the mood is at the moment. Where an incredibly bright player and Ben Doak, who heard you and um, heard you and Dan the other day mentioning or talking about Bassetic prior to the Chelsea game, I and mean, if I'd been on, I would genuinely have said that I would have started him against Chelsea. And Ben Doak is someone who I think, in terms of just thinking for some sort of freshness. I would certainly give him minutes to in, in, in recent games, just to, as you say, to provide some excitement and some directness. Um, and I, I really do think, I know Joss has been on a, on a goal-scoring drought even before his injury, but he just provides so much. Diaz guilty of not giving him enough credit because, don't get me wrong, I don't know, for Liverpool fans miss Sadio Mane, but sometimes I've kind of thought clinical enough, whereas I know Mane didn't score every chance he got, but Mane just had that little bit extra. And for me, with Diaz, for myself, I'm sure, and I'm not saying I didn't rate Luis Diaz, I think I, I, I gave him, I think, eight, I think, on the mid-season review. But I'd never realised what Liverpool had until he wasn't there, in terms of I thought there was at least someone else that could fill that void as such, given how much Nunez likes to play on the left-hand side, for example. But I really have realised now Diaz is without being on the pitch. And Gakpo, for example, he was brought in as well to maybe, maybe to kind of ease Diaz and Jota back. But given the, the situation in the table might depend on whether they come straight back in or not. I mean, say, for example, as, as we've mentioned, if Diaz and Jota come back at a time when to fight for because when I say bottom half earlier on I'm, I'm therefore effectively thinking Liverpool have a, a real chance of being without European football next season I don't think that is something that can be discounted either um, given the form of, of, of Brentford and, and Brighton at the moment especially in terms of the, the, the sixth and seventh places um, Edge back in and Gakpo gets more game time because I think I'm pretty sure he's played the most minutes for Liverpool in 2023 surely since he arrived um, just something different, something exciting, something to kind of get the fans up their seat and that that off their seat, and that's why I'm thinking about tactical changes for the Merseyside derby because Liverpool are going round and round and round in circles, and we know the old saying, don't we? Insanity. The definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again, expecting different results, and there are parts of this Liverpool team that I think are guilty of that at the moment. So. If something's not going right, change it. Don't get rushed back. Rushing players back can, can cause injury again. We've seen that so many times. But in terms of getting Liverpool results, is are what's needed. Yeah, I think it's it's about still finding that, that formula, finding the least worst formula at the moment. And we're looking now into February... And Klopp's tried so many different things, I think. Um, maybe not radical. And he said, as radical. Well, he said like, how, how can you not be concerned? Yeah. It's not as if I've seen people, when they talk about Jurgen Klopp, almost thinking, oh, he's not acknowledging what's happening. Of course, he's acknowledging what's happening. But yeah. again, you know, Jurgen Klopp, I, I totally agree with Jamie Carragher. 
the way in terms of saying Jurgen Klopp should be the last person to leave Liverpool in this scenario. But Jurgen yeah. Klopp knows how hard he has to work as well. Well, we know that renewal is definitely needed, and, and there are, I think, ways ways to achieve that um, with, without necessarily going for a new manager. I mean, just look at just look at Spurs. I mean, I think the times where they've sort of sacked their sacked their managers since Pochettino, it's been can we get Pochettino back kind of thing, and that's probably kind of a a clear example of how you might live to regret it, especially with somebody of Klopp's stature, but. Yeah, that'll about wrap us up for this one. Um, so thanks very much, Chris. Um, if you are listening on Spotify, remember to uh, subscribe to the podcast so it comes up in your feed on there. Um, please give it a five-star review as well. Um, and I'm sure there'll be sort of review facilities in any of the podcast platform you might use as well. So if you give us a positive one on there or tell your friends, we'd hugely appreciate it. We're also uploading the podcast to YouTube now so you can watch it in a visual form. Um, so yes like subscribe comment all that on there as well please um be very thankful and yet yeah, we'll be back barring any sort of major developments barring liverpool being handed um what would it be sort of three premier league titles uh, between now and, and the Merseyside derby uh we'll be back after that one to discuss what is hopefully a uh like i say a much needed positive within this liverpool season but yeah until then thanks for listening and take care